Welcome to the official podcast of the Canberra Raiders. Join us as we go behind the limelight. Hello and welcome our valued podcast listener. I'm Raider Nick and welcome to Behind the Limelight, the official Canberra Raiders podcast. Returning on the show today is Benny Pollock, the Raiders media manager after his stint in Melbourne for that junket for State of Origin. Benny, welcome back. Yeah, good to be back, Nick, after a week away and uh, nice to see the Blues win as a Blues supporter, but back on deck now. And look, we had Tom in last week and I listened to the podcast on the plane on the way home and I thought he How'd did he such a great How'd job that we brought him in. As we're going to leave him in here as He's part of the start. team each week now. So a very warm welcome to Tommy. Tommy, congratulations, mate. Mate, I'm absolutely stoked to have avoided the act, so it's great to be here for another week. Just don't bring it to pay review and think you're going to get a pay rise, that's all. So. <laughs> we'll uh, talk about that uh, devastating loss against the Panthers last week. We'll preview round 15 against the Tigers. We'll have Donny Ferner, the CEO. We're going to grill him. And I'm asking some uh, important questions about the Raiders' future. Brett Mullins will be joining us for the Forever Green chat. All this plus a lot more. So come join us as we go Behind the Limelight. I was so proud of the performance across the world. We're nearly leaving the comp. No, no team scored a try against them the last few weeks. And then I'm playing a halfback on the wing and I've got a back row right centre. I've lost my centre the first couple of minutes of the game. I've got Judy Paulo out, I've got Hodgson out, I've got Depine out. It's one of their best performances of the year. Playing against the team is meant to be the best. I walk off on unhappy with that. I'm coach there he is a very dejected Raiders coach there after the loss against the Panthers 23 points to 22 gents that hurt um, everyone's saying especially on a lot of the, the media you know in Sydney a lot of the personalities saying oh Canberra haven't beat a top eight team what's devastating is and what hurts so much is we can go pound for pound round for round with these with the heavyweights get them on the ropes but we just don't have that killer blow to knock them out just couldn't get the job done in the end um, look 20 to 10 with 15 minutes to go um, we probably should ice that game but you know we look back to the start we lost our you know, crack centre in the first minute, Joey Lailua, and then losing Jordan Rapana that to what looked like a fairly innocuous hamstring injury um, really set us back because we had to change our whole right side. Uh, we saw uh, Papali and Whitehead combining for a try out there, mm. um, pretty much the what we call in them, um, Whitehead. 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 The new uh, the new outside combination there because we didn't have anyone left, and poor old Ada Hingano. I, I felt really sorry for him having to come on um, and play a position that he's probably never played um, and he came up with a couple of errors there towards the back end of the game so um, you know it just it, it it was one of those games once again it feels like it's a, it's a crack record but we, we probably let that slip yeah, I think echoing your uh, comments there, Benny, I think um, mathematically we probably really shouldn't have been in that contest when you consider the personnel that we lost during the game, but the fact that we were, obviously, you know, I think we can take a little bit of confidence out of that, but obviously a disappointing loss all around. Well, we know that we can take confidence. We can play football, you know. We had the Dragons on toast. We had the Sharks on toast. And now and then the top three teams of Penrith are coming first. We can compete with these teams and we should be winning the games. That's what hurts so much is we're a top eight team. We're, a, we're potentially top five team. Um, and that's what kills us the most. But all we can do is control what we can Look, control. We're not some other clubs at the moment that are just not playing good footy at all. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be a real devastation um, for us if we weren't competing on the weekend and, and putting it to teams and, and weren't making the eight. So, look, we're we're not dead. We're still alive in terms of making the top eight. Yes, it's going to be a hard road in, but I think, um, and I think Ricky said uh, to the boys after the game, he was, he was very proud of that effort because uh, we were under adversity there with some injuries. Uh, we were also playing the, the top team. All of their origin players backed up. That never happens. Um, there's always a, a club that's got three or four origin players, at least one or two of them has a, has a week off and yeah. all of theirs backed up. So um, on that subject quickly, I thought Joshua Parley, uh, in his performance, his performance to play 80 minutes after Origin on Wednesday night was outstanding. But look, I, I don't know the, the answer, but we've just got to keep sticking in there and turning up every week and, and hopefully it, and, um, we get a win against the Tigers this weekend. Just on Big Papa, and without saying that word Bathurst again, this time last year he backed up and had a blinder don't, as well. Tommy's still having minutes. nightmares about that. He's the un- not the only one. But he, he was outstanding. He laid on two tries. He, he was probably the best on field for the Maroons as well in that Wednesday night clash in the Origin. And just to back it up, geez, these 
these guys, they're just superhuman, aren't they? Josh is a is a rare athlete. He's um he's a big guy, obviously, but he's got a huge motor and he can play big minutes. And he was playing um, predominantly on the edge on the weekend, but um the, the the effort that he showed on Wednesday night and to back that up is just incredible. I th- I think to play Origin, especially in that intensity sort of uh, match, was like a, quite a big effort in itself and then to even back it up and play Friday and make I think it was 36 tackles and also 120 running metres that just speaks volumes of the sort of athlete that Papa is when he's fit he's he's one of the most dangerous players in the NRL and he's fit at the moment and that's what's helping him I think that little stint in Mounties was a bit of a reality check for him and he, he went away and he worked on the things he needed to and now he's back playing his best footy what a man what a mighty mighty good man all right, gents, let's move forward, previewing uh, the Round 15 clash against the Tigers. It's I saw in the paper yesterday uh, a couple of columnists have cut the table up down saying there's this group of the top three teams and there's the bottom three, and they put us, the Tigers, and the Titans together. So a pretty good game this week. Yeah, it's a massive game for us in context of the season. You only have to look at the competition ladder. The winner of this game um, sort of takes a giant leap forward in terms of their top eight aspirations, where the loser probably you know falls away a little bit so it's a massive game for us it's almost like we've got to play these guys and the broncos in the next month both of those teams are sitting around us on the ladder Um, realistically it's going to come down to us three um, and and probably one or two other clubs for that final couple of spots on the ladder so we need to beat these teams there's no doubt about it um how good is it no Benji, but how good is it to see Jay Hodgson back on the Raiders team sheet? He's back um, after that knee injury uh, during the World Cup. Um, we've been watching him here uh, every day out on the training paddock, in the gym. The work that he's put into his recovery and his rehab to get himself back in this position in this amount of time is absolutely phenomenal. And I, I just can't wait to see him back out there. I'm not expecting him to set the world on fire in the next couple of weeks, but looking forward to seeing him get out there and, and he's just general footy brain and his knowledge of the game back in that team is going to make a huge difference. Well, just his presence, he's, he's grown into that kind of guy now, just having him in the changer and preparing and for the younger guys, seeing him there goes, wow, I'm going to run out with Hodjo. Things are going to be things are going to be good today. Yeah, I think having Hodjo back is almost like a bit of a double boost because not only are you bringing back his quality to the side, but also what he brings uh, onto the field in terms of leadership. I think that's just an absolutely huge boost and also Joe Tarpanay coming back. Uh, very similar, you know, massive double inclusion this weekend. Mm. It's a lot of uh, Jordan Rapana is obviously a big one because he gives you a lot going out of your own end. Um, he, he takes every second carry, it seems like, during a set of six. So it's up to guys like Nick Kotrick, Joey Lalua to come in and get some more hands on the footy. But I'm really happy for Michael Oldfield. I know you guys had him in here on the podcast last week. Um, he is an absolute champion guy, both on and off the field. And um, I think that um, given an opportunity, which he now has for the next two months, I think he'll, he'll make a real fist of it. And I think um, I'm expecting him to, to come into the team and play really well. So I think it all depends on how the boys, boys bounce back from last week. They had plenty of experience with that this year uh, without sounding crude there, but like you said, it is a must-win game, and we've got a good record against the Tigers, don't we? Especially over there at Campbelltown. We've had a really good, fruitful couple of seasons against the Tigers. I think in the last four, three or four times we've played them, we've actually put 50 on them. Um, obviously, the Tigers are a different-look team this year. They've got a lot more determination. The defence has really stiffened up in the middle of the field, and um, they've got some really... Um, strong um, players in and around the ruck area in in the halves so I think they're going to be um, definitely, it's definitely not going to be a 50 point win I'd take a a 1 point win at this stage but I I think it'll be a good contest and if we're up for it we should be able to get the win The Tigers come out of the blocks on fire, they beat Melbourne twice in the first month kind of got that respectability of bringing your A game against the Tigers and now they've kind of fallen back to the punch a little bit. Yeah they've had some injuries and some setbacks but every club goes through that during a a season, I mean Oh we're not complaining. No no that's right (laughs) A couple more go down in training beforehand. We're not going to complain either. No, Benji, that's a problem. That makes it. You know, but um, but just uh, you know, people don't people underestimate the the loss of Josh Hodgson for us at the start of the season. I mean, what have we lost? Half a dozen games by two or three points this year. So uh, you could probably chalk up Ws in three of those if he's on the field directing things around and 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 playing the way he plays. That's taking nothing away from Saliva Havili, who I think's probably been been the buyer of the year for us. What he's been able to bring to this. I'm really excited about him and what he can bring to the team now that Josh is back. Absolutely, and I think, um, Tommy, Ricky's Ricky's always said, he said in a few presses, that having Hodjo there will help Caesar, will help our halves. You know, it's it's hard for Caesar to run out there without a Josh Hodgson because he's been kind of the, the main centre of our attack, you know, owning that 
that kind of ruck area like it, like a Cam Smith playing to the line like an extra half. A kicking game is good for a 40-20 here and there. Having him back in there, it's almost like you've lost your wallet, now you've found it again. Yeah, it's just like bringing back an extra voice onto the field and I think um, Hodjo, having Hodjo back in there will really help the halves, especially uh, Caesar and Oslo and I think um, you know he might even be able to sort of dictate a bit more of the play around sort of that area and yeah, hopefully um, a couple of 40-20s would be nice from dummy half. Now, we're not going to lose him to that test in, in America, are I we? I don't think so. I think that the England oh. squad's been named. Josh isn't on the team no. sheet. Like, he's not going to play. I don't think he would want to go anyway just because of the fact that he's... he's He's back for the first game coming off a knee Rico this weekend. He's not going to go want want to travel halfway across the world. Even though I know he loves playing for England, he's just not going to do that. He's too professional to let that happen. He'll just come on in probably spurts and just kind of wear his find his feet again. Well, he's been named in the starting team. So um, whether or not Ricky um, goes with him uh, in the starting position uh, on the final team sheet is uh, probably dependent on how things go at training this week and how confident he feels in himself. But Josh, um, I mean... You've only got to watch him over the past month. He's been ready to go for a month. Um, he's had the all clear from the surgeon. He's just been ticking little boxes along the way. So he's ready. He's not going to go back out in that field. Um, you know, he's got a five-year he's got a five-year deal with the Raiders. He's not going to jeopardise that by bringing himself back too early. Um, it's not like we're down on out in terms of his position. Saliba's been doing a great job. So he was only ever going to come back when he was ready, and he's ready to go. He's got to come back at some stage, and if he thinks he's ready, then bring him back in. Tommy, Raiders by how much, mate? Ooh, 12. What's your score prediction? Oregon 30 to 18. Oregon Canberra 26. Michael Oldfield, two tries. Tigers 12. Benny, what's your score prediction? I'll take 1 0, mate, at this point. <laughs> 1 0 in Golden Point, Golden Point thriller. All right, gents. We've made sure the conference room's nice and tidy. The boss is sitting in and he's uh, joined us, Donny Ferner. Donny, welcome to the Behind the Limelight podcast. Your first start for this uh, show. Thanks for having me on, gents. Very much looking forward to it. Obviously, last week, the Centre of Excellence in Braddon. I remember that as a young kid being Rugby League Park, where it was the headquarters for, for local footy grand final day and so forth. Heritage listed site, the team trained over there in the late 90s, I remember. And now it's going to be HQ for the Raiders moving forward, yeah? Yeah, look, it took a long time, but it was something that we'd been planning for to move back to our what we call our spiritual home. Um, rugby league's been played there since the 30s. Uh, in, in effect, you know, we're out here at, at Bruce. CIT's been fantastic, um, but um, we have the 99-year lease on that site. Um, it is a beautiful old part of Canberra. Um, just there the other day, just looking around there and seeing it. So if we can get back into Braddon, build this facility there would be fantastic for us in terms of retention recruitment um that's where all the juniors have played um then we can consolidate everything we do we are the canberra district rugby league people forget that we are the whole district outside of canberra we have been around for a long time a long time before the raiders came in we were propagating the game of rugby league so that is the juniors uh, the local competition we can do that more effectively from the one site um and um and also service the whole, the bigger region area that's right around us. So for us to get this now, this this, this funding, um, to know that it's probably only going to be 12 months away is very exciting. As I said, it's been a long time coming, but um, I can't wait. Don, the, the process itself obviously involved a lot of um, working with governments, both uh, both sides of the border, to, to come up with the funding. How important was that um, for the for the project to go ahead to receive that support from both the ACT and New South Wales governments? It was, uh, you know, really a first, and we were so grateful for both those governments to see the bigger picture, particularly the New South Wales government, because we're building this facility inside the ACT border. Um, as we kept saying to them when we met with them, the kids that come across from Cooma and Yass and Goulburn and play, play in the Canberra District Rugby League competition, they don't recognise borders. They, they just want to play sport. And um, when we looked at the region that we serviced, which is massive. It's a way bigger than any region, any Sydney club services in terms of square kilometres. Um, going down the Riverina now to Bega, um, it's, it, it, we are servicing the New South Wales region. So once they understood that, um, and you know, with the help of, say, John Barillaro, um, who, who knew this area because he was from here, that we were so lucky that you know, the Deputy Premier was from, from Queanbeyan and knew the region and knew the cross-border issues that we had. So, But certainly without the cooperation of ACT and New South Wales Government, we wouldn't get this project up. 
Speaking about that, you mentioned Queanbeyan. Growing up in the 90s, Donnie, you'd pick up the Queanbeyan Age on a Wednesday and have a whole page of Queanbeyan Blues Junior Match Reports. The next page will be a whole page of Queanbeyan Roos Match Reports and then a quarter of the Jerobomba Diggers Match Reports. It's not the same as it used to be. Rugby league's dropped a lot in uh, the surrounding regions, especially Queanbeyan being such a nursery. That's the reason why we're here, because of rugby league in Queanbeyan. How is this uh, Centre of Excellence going to really kind of service those grassroots? It's been a bit lean the last decade. Look, um, nothing stays the same, Nico. Nothing's the same as it was. You, know, particularly, you mentioned newspaper reporting. That's completely changed. That's now one line. No. It was more so the point uh, about there was just so many kids playing football. You know, now you know there was like two or three teams in each age group. Believe it or not, the numbers are very, very good. And and what the sport has to look at, and the sport is doing a very good job of, is that not every kid wants to play contact sport. Not every kid wants to play contact rugby league. So there's. There's a multitude of offers that are that are available in our sport now. So, a lot of my girls play touch and they play Oztag. Um, you can play those non-contact sports. Some will then go into contact rugby league. So it's a little bit like cricket, where you've got 2020, you've got you know one day as and you've got test matches. It's not for everybody. None of those are for everybody. So if we can offer them touch footy, and they've still got an interest in the Raiders and they become a member, they support the Raiders or they, they play Oztag, or they then decide, yeah, you know, next year next year I'm going to have a crack at, at tackle. But our I, it was actually in the Canberra Times the other day, speaking of newspapers, but it had junior registrations of sports in Canberra, and it was soccer by a long way. I think it was twenty two thousand. Then touch, tag, and contact league was about eleven. The next closest one was 4,000 registered kids. So when we talk about the whole offering of those three sports, ours was second by a long way. Um, it doesn't mean there's not still work to be done. Um, so to your question about how do we get that out there, if we get more development officers on the ground who are going out and going into schools and saying, would you like to try this program, would you like to try that? No, you don't want to play tackle, OK. Would you like to try Oztag? That's all great for the sport. And we can do that with more development officers looking out at that region um, and, and also keeping kids in that region is a major thing. You, you talked about Queen Bien or So if you're a young kid and you've got to leave Queen Bien and move to Canberra or move to Sydney to, to follow your dream, that's bad for the country. Whether you're from Wagga or Tamora or Young, to keep them in the country. So we've got those young guys that have come across and play Harold Matthews or under-16s or under-18s. We'd rather leave them at home. We'd rather leave them at Wagga, come and do our programs, come across and play, stay there until you're 19 or 20. Then then if you need to come across to our high-performance programs and move cities. But there's no use moving unless you know, you're going to be in a full-time program. So the mere fact that we can then say to these families, stay where you stay, leave, leave your son in this city and in this town, it's better for those country towns in, in our region. Kind of like the, like the Jason Croker mould when he kind of went back home because he wasn't a bit homesick and they then do. he came back when he was ready and played 330 games for the club. They it do. worked. And that works. Like we, we have, they, they absolutely get homesick. Um, so if you can be understanding of that and they get a little bit more mature, all of a sudden they're 19 or 20 and they're you know, happy to leave home or they're more, they're more ready to leave home and you have less, a lot less problems. So And again... You know, it's only two hours drive, so it's not hard for us to have training sessions over there or training sessions here or they drive. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys from Crookwell and Goulburn that used to drive across. I remember the pickers used to drive across and come back to training and, and go back and forth. Um, you can make that effort and still use these facilities, and that's why the Centre of Excellence will be outstanding for us because they don't have to go to Sydney and they will have the best facilities yeah. available to them. I know them. That a lot of kids still travel from places like Orange and the South Coast and stuff two, three times a week to train. With the, with the junior development team. So, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of guys that do it. So um, it's obviously one uh, pathway and, and one place where it's a little bit easier to do than going to Sydney or, you know, anywhere further than that uh, to, to train. With the Centre of Excellence itself, Don, I suppose, you know, opening up this brand-new facility is going to have you know, numerous benefits um, in terms of the, the NRL recruitment, retention um, side of things. And how important is it to be able to, to walk players into a facility like that and show them um, what we're going to have uh, in the future once it's built, obviously? Look, it is. you have to do keep up with everybody else. So that's one thing. So we are more than keeping up with this facility. I remember when we walked people through here 18 years ago, it was fantastic out here and still is where we are here in Bruce. Um, you know, to have a ground right next to your training facility with all your admin people in here. Um, but, you know, that's 18, 19 years ago. So we, we've now got a... We will have um, 
you know, um, best practice facility with the, the best um, IT, the best, um, you know, hydrotherapy and all that sort of stuff. You need that because that's what the best young athletes want to train in. So um, I know the Broncos have just opened one. A few other clubs will open one. If we don't, we'll definitely fall behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, for people to be able to see this here rather than have to go to Sydney or Brisbane, um, it's it's way better for everybody because you know they can't afford to live in Sydney for one, and they are country boys who actually prefer the country and the smaller the smaller lifestyle and the, the quieter lifestyle, and you know you can drive from A to B and get a park and all that sort of stuff. Those those um, those advantages that we have got that we can sell with this facility. It's been well publicised over the last years. We've had. I think I read a story once where some guy came to some player came to Canberra and it was so cold he just jumped on the plane and went home like how are things now in regards to that with interest coming to play for the Raiders there's always interest um, it's a funny one Nick because when they move here they really like it particularly if they've got a young family um, there's certainly a negative perception about Canberra if you speak to anyone in Sydney they'll, they remember seeing on the map that night there was minus one in winter and that's what that's what's in the back of their head so there is a negative thought process about the city that we have to overcome but once they move here partner gets a job kids are in a good school it's safe you know, um it's hospitals roads yeah it's hospital roads to work lift that no it's 20 minutes to work sometimes well how many guys we get here on the podcast and we ask them how and they, they, say the they love it of course and, they, and they, they're just really warm in there saying all that preconceived does it, negativity is just all does it come talk. into your calculations when you're trying to recruit players though i mean we're, we're going to get pete myholland on this podcast in a few weeks to talk to him about that more in depth but um obviously you've seen success with guys from the north of England with uh, Hodgson, uh, Whitehead we had Jordan Turner here for a while and, and now we've just signed Ryan Sutton so does that come into calculations at all? Or? Without a doubt like, I, I would say probably six or seven years ago we changed in looking more towards the country boys because one you know, generalising now but they've got a good work ethic they probably fit our culture, they don't mind moving from a smaller country town to Canberra, hmm. it's difficult to convince a person. It's their big smoke. It's their coming big smoke. from the country yeah, towns. Yeah, uh, correct, and and their families are happier for them to move here than Sydney. The Sydney, the cost, you know, the the population, getting from A to B, all those sort of things are a bit daunting from a kid from a, a town of six thousand people. So we have re looked at that region and that's what the centre of excellence will help us with we like to think that we're going to get the best kids out of the country for the next 10 years because they will assimilate less inclined to move um, as opposed to a kid who's grown up on a beach in Sydney his whole life it's a big ask it's a big move um, and it's harder for us to get those guys undoubtedly Um, and we have to be realistic about that because you know we aren't their first option they'd rather live on a beach because that's what they know so um, then you've got to look at your facilities your program how well your team's going coaching staff um, and money you can butter it up any other way but Mm. money is probably the number one motivating factor for buying players yeah, so there's no Taj Mahal of 2020 coming up to play, or they just live out there in the in the housing. <laughs> no, there's no they they wouldn't um, they wouldn't um, survive. Well, that comes into it as well, I suppose. That cost of living here compared to a Sydney or a Melbourne is uh, obviously better. So um, you know, if they're looking to buy a home, they've got more chance of doing it here than what they do yeah. up there. Johnny, in regards to how you always got to prepare for next season. What's the balance for a CEO of an NRL club, especially the Raiders, where you're looking at this year, what's happening this year, but keeping an eye on next year? How do you get that balance, that ratio? of? Um, so we meet regularly, um, and it changes week to week. I mean, you know, who the co- who Rick and the coaching staff decide to promote or keep or, or, you know, the next four or five weeks has a big determining factor on that. Whether we're still in the hunt for the semis, we'll know that in the next three or four weeks. I mean, we need to win to keep in, in the hunt and... Um, and then the balance of your roster, you know, we, we'll make some announcements shortly. And then the balance of the roster, they're always looking at, you know. Um, so that's an, you know, the salary cap and your roster is is a constant work in progress. It really is. It's, it changes with an injury. It changes with a positional change. Um, someone leaves who you never thought was going to leave or, um, you know, a young guy comes up and bubbles up and handles it a lot better than you thought. So it does change all the time, um, and you're regularly meeting about it. Part of the NRL is sometimes the disgusting moment of tapping a young kid on the shoulder saying, look, you're not in our plans for next year. And it seems to be you're the guy that has to do it. It just must be so hard, part of your job, to do that. Look, you speak to anyone who 
runs any business letting staff go is the hardest thing it really is because you get to know them and you know particularly for young players it's a short career it's their lifelong dream um, it's very very difficult it's difficult for coaches as well so um, you always try and do it as respectfully and as honestly as possible um, but it's never easy and um, it is by far you know probably the worst part of the job where are we at in terms of, of next year Don obviously we've seen a couple of guys already say that they won't be here next year and uh, we're in the process of re-signing a few more is there room uh, in in the club's cap next year to bring in uh, a player of, of note or is there is there or is it more of a, a chance of a chance to bolster the current squad what's the what's the sort of position there mate we're always looking as I said before it is constantly changing so you know you pick up the paper and there's Aaron Woods not that we're looking at Aaron Woods but for example no one at the start of the year would have foreseen that he's going to get maybe moved out six months into a four-year deal so it changes all the time there's there'll be changes between now and in October from other clubs you know different coaches come in or they review their own roster or their salary cap squeeze so opportunities will come up and we're constantly looking and things change all the time a guy has a good good fortnight thing and you know what we might keep him now and things just totally change it's just things can just change in a minute can't it very much so, it's so very, nothing's very in fluid. concrete nothing and it's very fluid it changes literally week to week uh, membership obviously very close to reaching a total of 20,000 I think it's only just over 100 to go so um, f- considering we did make the finals last year and we've started a bit slowly this year it's a, it's a pretty amazing effort and an opportunity to to reach a milestone which we, we did earmark a couple of years ago to reach and it's it's probably going to happen look massive um massive vote of confidence in you know from canberra people and canberra fans for the raiders and, and the work that jace matthew and the membership team have done because our experience at the stadium is second to none and people say that in our reviews all the time um you know even when we lose a close game it's still a great spectacle they, the players are trying really really hard no one's seeing that they're not trying no one's seeing that they're not you know they're not really upset and hurt when they're losing um so to get to nearly 20,000 is a fantastic effort. Um, imagine if we were top four or, or top two or make a grand final, I think we'd get to 25,000 pretty quickly. So some of the off-field um, activation that we're doing that you know we saw on the weekend with um, fantastic promotion from Ozbrokers, you know, there's a there's a member that won fifty thousand dollars cold hard oh, cash. Was that? He oh, was so wow. excited. You know, that's a As lot. You of, would be. That's a lot of money net. You know, there's no tax on that. It's just. Fantastic. A car or a house? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So just he, from going to the footy? Just from going to the footy and becoming a member of the Raiders. So we were so glad that went off, and I know Ozbrokers were so glad it went off because they, um, you know, they've backed that um, that membership um, drive that we've had going for two or three years now. So, you know, we have to look at those experiences. It is also why down the track, you know, we would love to keep keep um, bubbling along the conversation about a new stadium because, you know, fans um, have a lot of options nowadays and, and um, you know, the, the better the stadium experience, the more chance that you'll get people off their couches and out to a game to watch it. So um, the mere fact that we, you know, we still, I say all the time, we've got the toughest fans in the comp because Canberra has the most diverse um, range of weather from 38, 40 degrees to minus two degrees. So and our fans sit through that. So, you know, if we had a stadium with a roof on it, um, I'm sure we would get easily 25, 30,000 members. We talk about change earlier in this uh, podcast in terms of junior league, but the change is um, happening in the, in the senior competitions as well. We've seen the Raiders' um, affiliation with Mounties over the past few seasons, and now we're affiliating them at an under-20s level as well. A lot of, lot of people ask me, um, you know, is there ever a possibility of seeing Raiders teams back uh, in the in a reserve grade or a, or an under twenties uh, grade competition is that a is that um, something that is foreseeable or is a partnership with another club always going to be the way forward? The reality of the costs of running a club and all the different grades years and years ago with all the different grades you could afford it, but um, to run an NRL team, a reserve grade team, an under twenties team, an under eighteens team, an under sixteens team, plus the development squads we've got, we have to partner up with some other clubs, and almost every other club in the NRL does that now. Um, so what we are, we are with Mounties for the next couple of years with our reserve grade side, and we are looking outwards to the Riverina area to the to the country to have a partnership with for a twenty side. So we are in talks at the moment about bringing our 20s back to Canberra and or Wagga and, and the Riverina area. Um, there's a few, fair few steps to go there, but we'd love it 
to have that connection with the country. Again, it is affordability because it is expensive. Um, so um, likewise, you know, joint sharing with Mounties means we, we're halving the costs and getting the same result. That's what we have to look at because I look at all the other codes, you know, you look at even NFL in America, they don't run five or six grades. You know, AFL teams don't and, and rugby union teams don't. We, we have a lot of grades because traditionally that's what we had, but the costs go up every year. And so we have to look at what's affordable and what's the best pathways for us. And for us, it would be looking out to that Riverina area and, um, and, and, and having a partnership with them whilst keeping Mounties for our reserve grade side. What's the next best, uh, the next big thing? for this club Don obviously uh, the number one goal is to win a premiership but um, you know what what type of goals are we setting um, off the field oh, and on the field I suppose well, in the next few years you touched on one with membership um, getting our junior pathways um, more aligned to the country area is, is one of mine um, you know so that it's a very competitive area Western Southern City there's a lot of clubs there Mounties are fantastic for us but if we can be the club that you know, we're the only inland club in the NRL. I guess Penrith is still part of Sydney. Um, we want to see those best country kids coming here. We want to be the best recruiter and the best place for those kids in the country because the statistics that you see in the NRL for how many of those kids that come through to State of Origin and NRL that played their first football in the country is massive. Um, and it's just giving them a pathway. So, you know, instead of the next Trent Barrett going to St. George, he's coming here, for example. Now, we've had, you know, we've had Laurie Daly here as well, and we've got a lot of country boys here too, but we want to make sure that, you know, we're also offering, you know, the, 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 the pathway for all of them. So that's a massive one for us. Um, on the back of that, I would like to see some development fees coming back to the club that develops them so that we're not losing them, or if we are losing them, we are getting compensated because that has always been our one of our Achilles heels in that we're a great development club, but somebody comes along and offers them more and there's no recompensation for the club that has put those five or six or seven years of developing that person. That must be a hard uh, thing to watch. We've seen it with Anthony Milford. We saw it with Shannon Boyd recently. When you put so much time and effort into their development and then someone comes in with a big money offer that you can't match. Yeah, and we're not it the takes only club. a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're not the only club. There's four or five, I would say, development clubs that, you know, Penrith, I talk to them regularly, they have the same thing. They put all that money in, do all that work, and someone can come and cherry pick them at 24 years of age or 22 years of age, and you've done those six, six seven, eight hard years in terms of develop, developing them, um, and there is no development feedback. So that's always been a big bugbear of mine, and I've always voiced that from our club and some other clubs. But there has to be something coming back um, by way of recompensation because it, you know, you question. Where, which way you should be spending the money when you, you know, you'd love to be putting it back into the juniors. Donnie, you mentioned about having to get the country and having the Raiders as the, the team they aspire to play for. But the lack of free-to-air television not being able to get them in their lounge rooms with the Raiders running out, does that hurt us a bit? Without a doubt. Look, it's also been... I mean, the changes this year have been fantastic. Um, I think we're on double double the amount of free-to-air that we were on last what, year. Four? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, coming off a low base, I know. But, um, it, look, and, and we've got to start winning too. One of the frustrations of the free-to-air deal was that Channel 9 wasn't Win Television, they were completely separate companies. So whilst we rated well in the country on Win TV, the decision was made by Channel Nine and that's based that's basically Sydney Sydney Brisbane. So we that was unfortunate for us um, because we rate really well on Fox Sports. We're an entertaining team to watch. Um, we've got a lot of following in the country. Getting more free-to-air games um, will be us winning. Um, that helps. If we get to six games next year, or eight games, or ten games, my God, we'll, we'll be half of what the Broncos get. So that'll be that'll be fantastic, and it will definitely help. Because having the team on television for kids to watch that that adds to it, adds to the uh, you know the aspiration to come and play for the club instead of seeing the Broncos play every Friday night. Correct. Yeah, correct. So yeah, it's as I said, it's somewhat. Um, you know, it's obviously the broadcast deal is between the NRL and the broadcasters and there is give and take there but we're pleased with the progress and we'll be you know, keep, keeping on to the NRL about listen, giving us another shot there so you know, if we can get the six or eight you make the semis you get another couple as well so. That's right. I think they have been um, they looked to simulcast a few games late in the season too on nine so we might be on a couple of those as well maybe I think well, Good I've got to ask you Donnie you've obviously grew up in a rugby league family but what is it about the game to you that, that keeps you turning up to work every day <laughs> <laughs> uh, look yeah obviously 
come up in you know come up in the sport. You well, played. Always loved you it. played as a junior of the Blues and did, stuff. Did. Um, and when then, did you fi- when did you finish playing? Uh, went to St Edmunds. So once you did both, sort of we played both up until under 16s, and then stayed with Union. Then after that, so I like both codes. Um, the camaraderie that you get. You know, the, the, and it sounds cliched, but you know the, the whole thing about um, I think anything about team sport is fantastic as opposed to an individual sport because you are working with people, you have to give and take. There is that camaraderie there. There's that you know um, sacrifices, you know, having to make sacrifices, having to learn how to win and lose together. And so I think um, team sports are fantastic. Um, my main team sport was was the rugby code. So you've always loved it, and um, the people that you meet. Um, Again, sounds cliche, but you you have friends for life wherever you go. You bump them everywhere. So, and sport is unique in what it can do in that respect. Like, I think you're closer to those blokes you played sport with than than anyone else. So, um, that's, I've always loved that that side of it. On the Behind the Limelight podcast, we present Forever Green. We talk to players from the past that wore the lime green jersey with pride, passion and plenty of courage. Steve Jackson reached out and scored! I didn't think there was any way he was going to make that, but he did! Grant going for the line, Grant scores! Oh, Ricky Stewart! That's rugby league magic! Sipowski will get away from Fisher and score the try! The Raiders, what about their courage? Oh, Mullen! What a day! Daly and Mullen! Mullers, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Very good. Mate, uh, did you enjoy yourself down here a fortnight ago for the Forever Green evening? I did, mate, I did, but I had to take it a little bit easier because I was a driver. So the other two blokes I was with had a better time than me, I'll give you the tip. <laughs> Mullers, what's it feel like still coming down to Canberra? Um, you're still classified, without embarrassing you, you're still classified as that rock star, you know. Does it feel good coming back and, and signing a few autographs like that? It does, mate, it does. Um, it's good. Ricky's kind of uh, got us going back every year now, so uh, I'm really enjoying it. It was a while. Uh, it's been a while since I had gone back before that, so um, it was really good to go back and see some of the old players and some of the old um, you know, staff that were on there with the strappers and, and whatnot, so it was good to catch up with them again. Mullows, uh, with yourself, you came to the club from 1990, being a junior. You were, you were from young, weren't you, growing up through the ranks? Yes, that's correct. How did Canberra come about? Um, well, I think they spotted me playing a game in June E, semi-finals for Young. I can't remember we were playing, so I think uh, Laurie was down there with um, what have been Nick Doyle, the coach at the time, the 21. So um, they saw me playing. They got me into the SG ball, and then it went from there, basically. So 89, I played SG ball, then under 21s in 1990, then off to first grade after that. So You really became on the radar, Mullows, after that 1990 grand final uh, for the 21s, and yourself and, and David Ball, the likes of those players, you, yep. Everyone saw that game and thought, "Wow, this look at this strapping young lad in the centres." And then obviously, the next you, you played first grade that year, but then in the '91 season, you were actually starting on the wing in some games. That's right. Yeah, um, it was a bit of a big step up, so I was a bit overawed at, uh, at first. But once you get in there and play a few games, you kind of settle down and, and start enjoying it. But uh, it was a scary time back then when you when you go from um, being 17, 18 year old straight up to first grade and. Uh, you know, you're watching these guys run around uh, on the TV three or four years ago. Next thing you know, you're playing against them. So that was a, kind of a strange feeling. There was a really physical game there, Mullows, against Manly at Brookvale. It was just a bashathon with the forwards. And I remember you copped a, copped a few knocks as well out there from the likes of Michael O'Connor. And I think you were marking a bloke called Frankie Stokes as well for Manly. And, and the way you survived that game, you thought, wow, this young kid can really handle it in this grade. Yeah, well, they broke my nose that game, so that wasn't really nice. But uh, but I got over it. It just made me look even prettier. So, but uh, yeah, no, I got, kind of got beat up a bit. But you know, that's what happens in rugby league. It's a tough sport, so you got to take the knocks and just keep on going. You kind of shuffled around in the centres, winger, fullback, and uh, you started a few games there at fullback there when uh, Badge Gary Belcher was down. Fast forward to nineteen ninety four. What a year it was for yourself. Uh, of course, you're playing in a team that's uh, you know playing in the top three. You get picked to play for Australia that year as well. 
What happened between 93 to just go up in 94 to just be, you know, the Australian fullback? Well, the pre-season 94, I really put in. So, I mean, training wasn't the best. So I made a conscious effort to, um, you know, have a, have a good year and pre-season and get stuck into the weights and, and build my fitness up. So that's kind of what how that come about, um, you know, putting in the hard work. Uh, before that 93, I was kind of a bit lackluster in, in the training and whatnot, so I kind of got a bit of a boot up the bum by Sheenzy. Yeah. And got to, you got told, you know, you got to lift your game, and, and I did, and it uh, kind of went from there. Um, and it makes it easy when you've got a great side around you as well, so <laughs> so that makes it a little bit easier as well. Just, I mean, I know you're a pretty humble man, and you don't like really big-nating yourself too much, Mullows, but wow, that run home to the season when you guys played, you know, they scored those four tries against Newcastle, two of them 100-metre efforts. You still yeah. get uh, caught up on the street about those tries, don't you? I do here in Newcastle, for sure. They, they kind of pull me aside, so, um, but they're starting to get over it now, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> but every time I go watch the game in the, the night stadium, um, get a few people still coming up and having a little crack at me, just tongue-in-cheek kind of stuff. So, And I, and I enjoy it. It's, uh, it's good. People still remember you. Also, Mullows, too, you played in the Origin Series there as well. Um, I mean, you played out on the wing in there, but that was great. How was that for you? What was the experience like playing Origin, going up a level and, and running out um, in that you know, pinnacle of rugby league? Well, mate, once again, as you said, it's another step up. But I, I found it pretty easy. Um, for some reason or another, I wasn't really worried. I had a look at the side around us, and I thought, well, you know, it's going to be pretty tough to beat us. And, uh, and the first one, my first game was at uh, MCG. Mm. Which was about eighty, ninety thousand people there. So that was, the scariest thing was running out and hearing the crowd yell and and and, and roar. So, but after that, uh, get, you get settled into the game and just and do what you got to do. Your brand of football there at fullback, you just kind of had that really instinctive style of play. Did Timmy Sheens and, and Ricky give you that kind of license to just kind of roam around and do what you want and inject yourself? Ricky kind of had you on a string there for a while with his kicks. Um, that, yeah. know, that, that kick on the inside that he used to put in that try he scored against Manly and then and that pass on the inside as well he was so dangerous when you just wander around the middle there well the great thing about Ricky he could be halfway through a pass to the left hand side as soon as he heard me call he'll just get it to me somehow or another so um, that was a major thing about Ricky Short um, he didn't prejudge or pre-think what he was going to do he would just play what was in front of him and, and what he heard so um so I'd only call it if I thought, thought something was on and he knew that. So every time I did call, he'd make sure he'd get it to me. You guys were obviously off the field all best mates. A lot of you, it's, it's well known in regards to the Raiders circles that you were just such a close knit. But on the field, you guys used to blow up at each other a fair bit. Oh, bloody oath. Yeah, Ricky, used to, <laughs> Ricky was the best at bagging the other team and, and us. So, but um, he was right most of the time too. But don't let him say, don't let him hear me say that. Um, yeah, but I uh, had a few blowouts with Ricky, but um, it's all you know. Once the game's over, you think I laugh about and go have a couple of beers. And it's all it's just mates because you're all there yeah. trying to win the game, and you you know all they're blowing up for the sake of the team. Exactly right, mate. Exactly. And it's, you know, you get frustrated out there sometimes. So things aren't going your way, and you know you just kind of vent a few things here and there. And, and if, I did, if I did try and give it a sticker, he was too quick with his mouth. So um, I just just took what he said and, and moved on. <laughs> Mullows, 1994, like we said, what a year that was. Of course, you played Origins. How great was that for, to win a premiership and to see to see Mal out in a winning night? That would have been a great feeling for you, not just for the boys, but for yourself as well. You would have, before you went on that uh, plane to, to England for the Kangaroo Tour, you would have just gone, wow, it can't be a better year than 1994 for Brett Mullins. Oh, exactly right, mate, exactly right. I, I achieved everything I wanted to, 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 to achieve in the one year. So, um, and... You know, looking back, I think, wow, what a bit of a whirlwind it was. Um, as I said, Origin and then winning the grand final and getting picked for Australia during that year as well and getting picked on the tour. Um, great experience. And, and as I said, things just kind of went from one to the other to the other. So, um, yeah, 94, what a great year for me it was. Moving into 95, did you find it harder? Because obviously you were such a standout. Teams would have been really, obviously, they just they couldn't really re, you know study one player for the Canberra Raiders. But no. Brett Mullins, they really kept their eye on yourself, the way you were just so damaging through the middle, your speed, the way you could just score a try from 100 metres out. Did you find it hard? Like, was it tough in 95? Well, it did get tougher. And, you know, the opposition, they obviously did study my game and instead of having three or four chases, they'd have the whole line coming up. So you had to reinvent yourselves and, and try, try different things with the wingers. Um, and also, it was a 
I started off the year with injuries as well mm. with my shoulder and my knee. So I kind of battled that year through injuries as well and not getting a full pre-season in and, and training during the year as well. I struggled a bit, so that kind of added to it as well. But definitely the opposition did uh, you know, change the game in the kick-chase aspect. Um, instead of throwing, sending three blokes up, they knew they had to send the whole line-up. You spoke about reinventing the wheel a little bit. You added a kicking game to your... To your, to your repertoire there, Mullows, that try you scored against the Broncos. Look, you, you probably, I don't know, you probably get sick of saying it, or it, that was such a brilliant try that you scored. And, like, without embarrassing you, you know, Ray Warren always said, you won't see anything like that again this year, but maybe never. Can you run us through? I mean, you probably just thought it was just part of the game, kick and chase, kick and chase, luck bounce oh, of your ball. Yeah, that was the only time I did kick the ball, and I, I'll be tired after that as well. So <laughs> I can't get any better than that, so that'll do me. <laughs> but, um, I, was so, so, I just got caught at, uh, at, at dummy half and, and then a call come from Ricky I think it was or, or obviously said I was a fifth Mullow so I just looked up and put a little kick in and chased it again and got a good bounce and kicked it again and it popped up for me so you know a lot of luck, a lot of luck went into that but you do make your own luck as well Absolutely could you remember the feeling you had when you when you slid over that uh, Winfield Cup sign there and you go wow I've, just, I've scored here yeah, I was a bit shocked, to be honest. Um, you know, because everything just happened so fast out there, so you kind of just play what's in front of you. And then um, once I did that over, over the line, it was good to have a little breather as well. Looking back after that after that game and, and going into training the next week, was, uh, yeah, pretty surreal. I dare say I would have uh, rubbed in to a few blokes, um, <laughs> you know, especially Steve Alders. He always seemed to be... Uh, took fun in having a crack at me, which I, which I enjoyed, but uh, I, I did give it to him a, a bit after that as well. Mullows, 95 was a year where the Super League really uh, sunk its teeth into the Rugby League and it just changed the game, probably forever to this day. The Raiders were obviously big game players in there. Looking back at it now, was it a really weird time in the game there, you reckon, Mullo? Yeah, it was. Um, once again, it happened really quick. We were on our way up to North Queensland, as I remember, and we stopped off in Brisbane and, and Tim us aside and kind of let us know what was going on. And the next thing you know, we're up there um, that night, and we go to a motel room and sit down with these these uh, these guys, and then next thing you know, we're signing a contract to play Super League. So, mm. yeah, now that's how it kind of happened. Um, yeah, pretty fast, and uh, and I was up there, and I thought, well, I don't want to be left out. So then I went, and and away I went. So, um, so that's how pretty quick it happened. Yeah, um, not much, not much thought went into what I was going to do or what the future was holding, whether I go this way or that way. I was just Get in there, sign, and out you go. So it was more about stick, sticking with the Raiders. It was not about Super League area. It was about where the Raiders were going. I was going. Well, that's exactly right, mate. I know um, in the 91 or 2, I flew up to Newcastle, and they, wanted, they had a chat with me and wanted me to sign with them back then. But as you said, mate, I, I'm a pretty loyal person, and uh, mm. Canberra was my side. So I was, uh, I was staying with Canberra no matter what. You know, hundreds of thousands less, I was, I was staying either way. The start of plays from that, 94 squad Mullows at 95 squad that that nucleus of success of rep plays all starting to to starting to leave the club yeah. and um it got to the point where in year 2000 what was left of the club was obviously Laurie Fernsey and yourself and you all decided to leave at once was it hard uh, leaving the club and making that decision to leave the Raiders it was it was very tough but um that decision had to be made it was that's the way it ended up so then I headed overseas I started to play a couple of years over there but uh, obviously injuries uh, Krilled me, so I retired over there and good old sticky me mate stick led me up and I get the job of the roosters and offered me a, a chance to get back into it. So I I jumped at it. We were all as Raiders fans, it was just so heartbreaking seeing all years all going in one swoop, especially yourself because you became such a character, such a an identity for the Canberra Raiders. We speak about in the eighties it was Glenn Lazarus, Mal Meninga, Dean Lance, Brent Todd. In the nineties it was yourself, Ricky, you know, Laurie Bradley. You were such an identical part of the green machine and to seeing you leave was such an emotional time. But what worse was seeing you run around in the Roosters jersey, you know, as Raiders educated fans, we're all happy for you that you were just fulfilling um that, you know, you play for the club that your old man played for. But that yeah. would have been a great year to to end that one year under Ricky, bit of that Canberra connection, and get that grand final ring. Exactly, mate. If it wasn't that, if it hadn't been for Ricky, I, I wouldn't have been playing again. So you have to credit that to Ricky. And then, as you said, with my father's club, the Roosters, it was good to emulate his some of his feats back in back in the day in the seventies when he was playing with a grand final win. Um, and you know, it was a good time to, to finish off my career as well. Seeing you, there was a game that uh, 
you played the Raiders up there at the SFS and you just you carved up back then. What was it like running out against the Raiders? Um, look, it was strange, very strange. But um, there wasn't that many familiar faces there instead, except for, I think, it was Rick, uh, Tootsie and Ruben um, and maybe a few younger kids who were coming through at the time. But, um, yeah, so it would have been different if I was coming up against Mal and Ricky and all those guys. But, but it, yeah, it still felt a bit, bit surreal. But I, I was a bit determined, too, to make sure we got on top of them and we did win. So kind of um, spurred me on a bit as well. Yeah, speaking of Mal, what did Mal do for your career there, mate? You get to, you got to play with him, outside him. Well, oh, he just made my job so much easier. You know, I'll do it. Once Mal got the ball, I said to find where the hole was, and he drew about four or five blokes in and just made sure I caught it and ran. So Mal, Mal's a freak. He's one of the best setters I've ever seen. Um, and and just his aura. It was just um, inspiring and, and great to play with such a great man. And as a coach, there was a few years there where you had, were you under him as a coach. Yeah, I struggled. I was frustrated those few years. And now as coach, I had a lot of injuries, and you know I wasn't uh, playing as best as I thought I could. You know, and I, and I should have actually probably taken three or four weeks off and got those injuries um, right. But I just kept being a bit stubborn, just kept, kept getting out there and and playing. So it kind of hurt my game in the end. But you know, it's still a good experience, and we had a lot of young kids coming through as well. So you know, so times are changing. All right, Brett Mullins, we'll do the uh, the set of six, the Forever Green set of six. First question, Mullins, uh, what do you do for work now? Oh, I've got my fingers in a few pies. I've um, partnership with a couple other blokes in six gyms around the Newcastle area in Melbourne, and um, I've also got a fencing business. So um, keep myself busy. Excellent. Uh, second question, Mullins, what did it mean to you, mate, to wear the lime green jumper? Oh, look, everything. Um, it's kind of what made me who I am, I suppose, in, in one sense. Um, putting the green jump on and playing with so many legends around me was uh, a time I'll never forget. Speaking of those players, your favourite teammate and why? Oh, look, there's, mate, there's heaps of them, but Steve Waters was always one that made me laugh. Old box, he used to run around calling himself a test rake all the time at training. <laughs> so um, it was always joy, joyful to play with and, uh, and to train with him. Best memory at the club? Best memory, 94 grand final. Funniest moment of the club, if it's a G-rated version you could tell us. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't think of something on the spot, mate, but I've had plenty of funny moments in game, tell you that. <laughs> now, for a man that's done everything, that most things in the game there, you've you played Origin football, you've won a premiership at the Raiders, you've played on Kangaroo Tours, you've played for Australia. Without embarrassing, are you really part of that green machine success of the 90s and obviously the late 90s as well? Miles, what advice would you give to the current day Raider? Just to get out there and give it your all. You know, you, you could have pride in that jumper. So as long as you give it your best, that's all you can ask. So just get out there and enjoy yourself. And it goes quickly, doesn't it? It does. It does, mate. It does. You're a man that we all loved watching. You were that kind of player without embarrassing you. When you got the football, everyone just got onto their feet and thought, wow, what's going to happen here? And you'd just be able to do things on the football field that no one has ever done ever since and I think no one will ever do again. Brett Mullins, thank you very much for joining us on the Behind the Limelight podcast. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks for the kind words. Thanks, Marlos. Cheers, eh? Too easy, buddy. Have a good one.